Hi, my name's Noreen Jamil, and this is... Emily Kate Stevens. Both of us have been diagnosed with long COVID. And we've created this podcast dedicated to the condition. Welcome to the Long COVID Sessions. Okay, Emily, the dreaded question. How was your week? <laughs> so um, today I feel good. I, I mean, that's very relative, like in terms of long COVID feeling rubbish most of the time. But today I actually feel good for the first time in so long. The whole week has been kind of, it's, it's taken me some effort to get to feeling like this. I really, really was struggling after that COVID. I mean, I have been feeling shocking. I've been so tired and I've had so many rubbish symptoms. But do you know what I did, Noreen? Tell me. I um, I started exercising again. I have spent eight weeks doing what everyone tells me and taking all the drugs that the doctors tell me and doing no exercise because exercise makes everything worse. And I have to say that for my mental state, the exercise that I have done, look, I'm not promoting any form of get and I exercise very carefully and I exercise within certain parameters but for me it has been a game changer this week and I also know I I think I'm probably got long COVID because of exercising too soon after COVID last time um, pushing my heart rate too high after COVID the first time but for me it has it has made me feel immeasurably better going to the gym going cycling going out walking and just getting moving more for me that works. And how was your week? I developed a new symptom this week, and it's inflammatory. Like the whole of my right side has uh, been inflamed, starting from the shoulder, down the side of my ribs, towards my hip, and being quite tender and sore. And is that sort of tender to touch, tender to move? Tender to touch. Yeah. And then a pain in my back. Uh, I think the pain in my back is more to do with my heart, but... There's definitely a pain in the shoulder. It's eased off a bit the last day or so, but um, I'm going to go and get a scan and some blood work done just in case it's not something to do with my long COVID. Okay, I think that's very sensible because even though we have got long COVID and we can find ways of putting everything into the long COVID bracket, it is important that we do go and get new and strange things checked out. Anyway, this uh, week we spoke to someone about a symptom that will affect a lot of long COVID sufferers. Um, And that was speaking to Dr. Sabina Brennan, a psychologist, neuroscientist, and author of the book, Beating Brain Fog. In one way, you know, it's kind of great that COVID has shone a light on brain fog as a really debilitating um, symptom. But it's not new. Do you know what I mean? I mean, people have lived with brain fog for various reasons for such a long time. So it's one positive for people to now realize how debilitating brain fog is. So um, I definitely had it for a good while the first time. And I definitely had it for a good few weeks this time. I I, I just couldn't. It, It actually, even for me this time, it felt like there was nothing in my head. Do you know, whereas before I would just struggle for stuff and be tired and not be as fluent with my language. But actually this time I just felt my brain was empty. I just felt there was there was nothing there. Like I'm a really creative sort of person and 
constantly figuring out things. But it was like there was just nothing. I think I imagine that that will ring true with a lot of our listeners. Brain fog. I mean, the term itself it sounds quite benign, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, you know, a bit of brain fog. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's, it's you know, it's you know, it's a bit of the weather, really. My brain is sun, sunny today, but now I've got some bit of fog. But it, it is actually far more debilitating than that. Could you explain to our listeners because this is your area of speciality? Yeah. What you know, what's going on? Yeah. What exactly is brain fog? So I use brain fog as an umbrella term to describe a collection of symptoms and those symptoms loads of your listeners will be familiar with so it would be things like problems concentrating focusing uh, problems paying attention or sustaining attention you know so uh, that can kind of come in a few ways attention is a very it's a multi-dimensional ability you know so you you have to use sustained attention to read a book so a lot of people i'm sure would find they're having issues like you know reading a few lines and then oh, hold on my focus is gone what was that and having to keep starting over but then there's also the ability to be selective with your attention so that's if you're in a room and there's other things going on that you can just attend to the thing that you want to and that's also affected in brain fog and that's very challenging you know because there's things going on and, and you can't just focus on, on on what you want i have this thing for example if you're in the car like this morning in the car you had to put the heater on full full blast because it was so cold um i really really struggle with those kind of overwhelming noises nowadays to then right. focus on, on on other things like actually driving. I find it really, really stressful if there's, which are things that you normally just manage to completely you zone out. out. Yeah. You don't even notice. It's that irritability. So, you know, the, the, the noise gets me. But brain fog then also affects uh, your ability to learn. And I think a lot of people tend to think about the word learn uh, in a very... Um, narrow way like learning at school but you are constantly learning in order to navigate the world do you know if you get a remote control you have to learn how to use it do you know if you walk into uh you know a door through a door you have to learn how much pressure to put on that door handle do you know what i mean everything that you do in your life involves learning to a certain point so that ability to learn is affected and to take new in new information so a lot of people with brain fog post covid will be saying i'm really struggling to you know memory is affected you know forgetting to do things forgetting lots of, in lots of different ways the other things that are affected as well is language a lot of people would be familiar with the trouble finding words one interesting thing i found when i spoke to people who had long covid was um that they were substituting like a word that was completely unrelated for the word that they wanted um and often we will substitute a similar word but it, it was a little unusual that with covid the substitution wasn't related in any way um, yeah. uh, and that's kind of unusual just even from a psychologist perspective studying language like that, that seemed a little unusual to me uh, and then also a loss of fluency you know your language not being as rich as it ordinarily would be or as fluent um, then there's another area um, and that's called processing speed so basically the speed at which you can 
process information. So it takes you longer to figure out what somebody is saying, make sense of it, and then formulate a response. So a real slowing. And another one that people often um, are surprised to hear about is uh, we would call it problems with spatial navigation, but most people would call it clumsiness. So bumping into things, dropping things, um, spilling things, that kind of thing. And that's a brain function. And that's part of brain fog too. And then there's the mental fatigue, just the the exhaustion that you just can't just can't think anymore you know that and and I've I I do a lot of work in the sphere I mean brain health is ultimately my overarching um interest so uh, keeping the brain healthy and functioning well and so I would also do work in terms of say for example how to reduce your risk of developing dementia but also keep your brain healthy if you have neurodegenerative disease like multiple sclerosis um, so about optimizing your brain function um, as well as the work around brain fog. But I do a lot of work internationally and, and for a lot of conditions like multiple sclerosis, for example, um, fatigue would be an issue. And, and so I've been kind of arguing, and I think it's very relevant in terms of long COVID, that we need to draw a distinction between physical fatigue and mental fatigue. They are two very distinct things and they affect the individual in in very distinct ways. If you're physically fatigued, you should still be able to function mentally and figure stuff out. It's just your body is tired and that's very different to when your brain is tired and and you really literally, because you need your brain for everything, the simplest thing becomes very challenging and exhausting. Um, And that's another thing that's affected really. It's sort of generally called your executive functioning and it's the frontal lobes, the front part of your brain that's affected um, with brain fog. And that's the part of your brain, a very important part of your brain that you use for making decisions, for planning, for organizing. So when I give talks about this, actually explaining brain fog, I have little illustrations that I that I use. And the illustration I use for decision making is someone standing there with two pairs of trousers trying to figure out which to wear. Because it's decision making right down to that very simple level that is affected. Yes, your ability to make decisions on big work stuff is affected, but it can be that debilitating to open a fridge and not be able to decide what you should cook for dinner. I think I was just literally talking we to, just talking talking to Noreen about that before. Yeah, because there are just things that I before would not even need to think about. Like I would just, everything kind of fell into place in my day. Uh, yeah. I would have an overall plan, but I knew that when I was going to the shop that I would kind of knew what I was going to be buying and I would get home and I would have everything for supper and it, it's it, all of that now takes lists and planning and and working yeah. up I just don't have that same ability that I I used to have yeah you don't have the you don't have the resources so they're the kind of symptoms and and, and the thing is everybody has experienced those things at some point in their life yeah like, there are some people who go through their entire lives with with certain <laughs> things like that with certain things but but, but know, it tends to be kind of more isolated like maybe they always lose their keys yeah so so it's different in that for people who've never experienced brain fog maybe a good example is how you feel with jet lag you know everything's a bit slower a bit harder you know you know that kind of gives you a bit of a sense but that will return you return to normal when you pay back the sleep and get back on the the the, the um you know the right rhythm night day rhythm the thing with 
with brain fog is that the symptoms are persistent um, they uh, occur regularly and they interfere with the quality of your life, your ability to carry out your job and indeed your relationships. And I think the relationships one is often very much underestimated um, because brain fog, I've had it described and in my book, I write about the fact that brain fog, when you have it, it, it really can feel like you've lost yourself. Because you are your brain. If you've always been a quick-witted individual who's great at telling jokes, that's gone. You can't do that if you have brain fog. And so you appear to be like a different individual because you're no longer quick-witted and funny. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. It makes up so much of who you are. And I think it can be difficult because people have so little knowledge about how their brain works. It can be difficult for partners, loved ones, people in your family to understand why you're behaving oddly, why you're not behaving like yourself. And people always, you know, often think that things are about themselves. So people start to think, oh, there's something wrong with our relationship. She doesn't love me anymore. Or I mean, one example I've had is, you know, the forgetfulness, you know, a husband saying something and saying, oh, oh, I didn't know that. When are you going there? Or, or what are you doing? I told you. I told you the yeah, other day. See, it, you don't listen to me anymore. Which equates to you don't care, but it's not. It's But it's not. The information is not going in. And another thing that you speak about in your book as well, which uh, I think is quite relevant to relationships, is the inhibitory control that yes. can be altered in brain fog. So things yeah. that, where, where normally you would actually have control of yourself and your emotions. I mean, I shout at my kids far more now than I yeah. ever have in, in my life previously. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's like an irrational, out of control thing that yeah. I have, which it's not me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that again is the frontal lobes and, and that is your executive function, that ability to disinhibit, you know, to inhibit certain behaviors. And, you know, we use that an awful lot in our day-to-day living. It requires a lot of effort, energy-wise, I mean, physical effort to in, to to inhibit those behaviors. And with brain fog, we seem to lose that. Now, I think part of that can be to do with resources Um But uh, there's a couple of important things to say about brain fog, that it's not a disease. It's not a disorder. It is not a condition in and of itself. It is a sign or a symptom that something is amiss. Your brain is malfunctioning. And like, I'm passionate about this. You know, if you go to the doctor and your leg has stopped working or you're not peeing anymore or you're peeing too much, you'll be sent for further investigation to try and figure out what's wrong. But if you go and say your brain, your most important organ is not functioning properly, if you're listened to at all, you know, you may get told that it's stress or it's this or that, but you don't really get any any help. And they are right. Stress can bring about brain fog. Uh, And so can changes in hormones, various other things, and not just long COVID, but brain fog has multiple causes. And in a lot of people, you may have a few factors contributing. We would like to talk to you about all of those various uh, factors that you say can influence or can cause brain fog. But I think one of the things with long COVID is we still don't necessarily understand the mechanism of it, but we seem to have a lot of the contributing factors slightly out of 
slightly out of line in our bodies. Do you want to just talk to us through the various contributing factors, the inflammation, the hormones? So, yeah, exactly. So brain fog can have multiple causes. And as I said, it's not new to long COVID. I I like to see it as a sign or a signal that something is amiss and that really what you've got to do is kind of try and get to to the root of what's causing it. You do need to rule out certain other factors, you know, in addition to kind of long COVID. The kind of good news is there are lifestyle factors that will make it worse. And I think that's what we can do when we have long COVID is kind of work on those to kind of minimize the the symptoms. But basically, um, yeah, so it can be caused by an underlying health condition. Long COVID. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, It can be caused by medications used to treat some of those underlying health conditions. Um, It can be caused by hormonal imbalance um it can be caused by a nutritional deficiency and then also by lifestyle factors such as chronic stress uh disrupted sleep and lack of exercise physical exercise and mental exercise and i think you've sort of touched on you know with long covid many of those factors are playing into it as well for various reasons so the underlying health conditions rather interestingly um a lot of them disproportionately affect women so it's associated with a lot of autoimmune diseases it's also associated with neurological conditions so it would be associated with migraine it's associated with multiple sclerosis that's a very common um symptoms like as i said i use brain fog as an umbrella term but uh, different diseases, uh, different groups of people have their own names. So it's associated with chronic pain conditions, so fibromyalgia, and people will call that fibro fog. Um, and uh, I think in multiple cirrhosis, some people call it cog fog. Oh, and it will be associated with depression and with anxiety too. And 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 you can see where all of those can be feeding in with long COVID. You know, it's very depressing to have long COVID. Yeah. In your understanding of brain health. Yes. When you're looking at all of those driving factors, can you ever physically see those contributing damage. factors, the damage in the brain, something in the brain then? Recently, I think a couple of days ago, there was a paper release showing that MRIs of the brain, you could actually see damage to, to the brain in long covid patients. I actually haven't seen that paper. I will look. I would say ordinarily, no, you really probably wouldn't see sort of in the short period of time it's really hard to know because everybody's brain sort of generically sort of works in similar ways but everybody's brain is really individual and because it's the functioning of your brain is affected you'd need to sort of have a baseline see how your brain functioned before Before. and then compare it after I think uh, functionally speaking there may well be there could be uh, you see it's debatable as you said with long COVID we can't be sure how it's impacting on brain fog. I think there's, you know, giving rise to brain fog. There are a number of factors that we know for sure would give rise to brain fog. So as I said, there's previous, you know, other viruses will, and and, and that could be. So basically your brain um, is responsible for keeping you alive. It's responsible for everything that you do. So when you have a life-threatening illness, that has to be the brain's priority. Remembering where you left your keys or your friend's birthday, it, it, it's, it's really not important uh, when your life is threatened. Uh, and I think your body has, your brain has to give all of its resources to saving your life. And yeah. that makes sense. So there can be a resource, 
a resource issue. When you say resources, what do you, what do you mean? So your brain only weighs 2% of your body, right? But it consumes 25% of the oxygen and nutrients that are circulating in your body at any time. So it's a high energy organ, right? It uses up and it needs a lot of energy. Now, from an evolutionary perspective, you have three parts of your brain, three brains really, uh, you know, so the first part of the brain to evolve is your brainstem. And you'll have heard of that if you've ever watched programs like Eeyore. It's responsible for your breathing, you know, respiration, your heart rate, uh, digestion. It's unconscious, things that you don't have to think about. So that's your brainstem. And you'll know that if that's injured, unless you've access to a life support machine, you're going to die, right? So then the next part of the brain to evolve um, is called the limbic system and often referred to as the emotional brain. And you'd have to turn your brain upside down to see it. It's really deep in, in, in the brain. And it contains or, um, structures that are responsible for, for, for emotions. It's often called the emotional brain. So for emotions, for the fight or flight response, for habitual behaviors, unconscious activities. Okay, so um, then the latest part of your brain to evolve is called the neocortex. So neo for new. And it's the crinkly part of the brain that we tend to think of when we think of the brain. And that's your thinking brain. So it's really the activity of your thinking brain that is affected in brain fog. Okay, and what you were saying before is you have to reserve your energy for the unconscious parts of your brain yes i think and the thing is also the thinking part of your brain uses more energy than the unconscious parts of your brain so they require more resources so if you haven't eaten enough food during the day if you haven't had enough sleep that starts to malfunction you know it hasn't it hasn't got the glucose that it needs to carry out those complex activities that require energy. So I think there's that's one issue. I think there's a resource issue if your body is dealing with infection. I think there's possibly the immune response has something uh, to play. I, I, I'm That's not my area, but I know that autoimmune diseases commonly have brain fog. Uh, we know that the immune response in COVID is a little bit different to what would have been expected. So there may well be something going on there with the immune response. Uh, the brain communicates, uh, brain cells communicate with each other and with the cells in your the rest of your body through electrical and chemical signaling. Um, and there's various types of chemical signaling that are used for all of our various cognitive activities that are affected in brain fog. So neurotransmitters, hormones, cytokines, and also certain growth factors. They're all kind of influence how well our brain works. And I think with COVID, some of those are affected. It's a very general way of saying, but that could be another contributing factor. Yeah. Also, COVID has affected the brain as well. I mean, we know that with, with strokes and there's been, I, I actually wrote a feature for the Irish Times back in September 2020, where I'd spoken to some neurologist who had published papers on literally, you know, the various aspects of the, the, the brain that are affected. So it could possibly be related to that, too. I think that another factor is a deconditioning. A deconditioning of the brain. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, if you've been sick and say you used to run 10K 
every day. Then you get sick. You're sick for. <laughs> no, 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 me neither. But it's a good example. So say you used to run 10K and you've been, you're sick after recovery. You know, if you've been seriously sick after recovery, you do not expect yourself to be able to run 10K again. You'll injure yourself if you try to run 10K again. You have to build up because your muscles have become deconditioned and you have to work. Except the thing I would say with this is the majority of people that we've spoken to with long COVID did not have a severe acute phase and were not. I mean, I think that I stopped working for about four or five days. It wasn't a huge, it wasn't a huge amount of time that my brain didn't run 10K. Yeah, well, so uh, yeah, it, it, it's a very interesting point. You see, I think just because we're asymptomatic physically or the physical symptoms aren't that we're experiencing aren't that bad doesn't mean that internally it's yeah that it's not having you know that your body your uh, is has a a serious job to do it's not exactly my you know I'm not an immunologist that's not my expertise but I do think that's part of the problem is not resting not resting yeah I mean I think that physically and mentally for me that probably was my complete downfall and that has led to 22 months of long COVID because I didn't really stop I agree at the time so no we didn't know at the time but I really do think that's that's I think that's a biggie. Um, and, and you see, we know this with certain autoimmune diseases. They often affect people who would be perfectionists, who, you know, do lot, you know, you know, work all hours, achieve loads of stuff. And then suddenly, you know, they get this autoimmune disease and it kind of floors them and there may be chronic fatigue. I mean, I don't know why that is, but it, it could have something to do with the fact that maybe we overdo things and don't listen to our bodies and don't rest uh, when we should. And I also think in terms of recovery, and I even is fresh in my head now from this time, um, in terms of recovery, I think because with, with long COVID, there are days where you sometimes feel better. And there's the, uh, certainly for me anyway, I hate not being able to do anything. And so the temptation is the day you feel good to do everything. I'm literally queen of that. I think everybody is though. I go for a 10K run as soon as I feel good. Yeah, and that's the problem, I think. I think that's the problem. I think we have to resist that. Yeah. And very gradually, the neurologist that I spoke to, she, she, she put it very well um, in terms of the physical symptoms. Because a lot of people were very debilitated with COVID, the first, you know, the first uh, strain of it. Yeah. And they couldn't even lift their heads. You know, people couldn't walk. You know, they spent ages in, in bed. And, and she said, it's this balance, this fine line between um, when do I rest and when do I, you know, start working my muscles again? Yeah, that kind of brings us nicely. So we've talked about all the symptoms. We've kind of thought about the mechanisms of what might be going on in the brain. Talk to us about how we might recover some of our function. So what are your top five tips to deal with some of these? Because we don't really know with long COVID, I think what we have to focus on is the lifestyle factors that we can do something about. And sleep is priority number one. 
which is presumably one of the biggest contributing factors. But it's also a symptom of long COVID. It's a symptom and it's quite difficult to control because so many of us have insomnia from it. Uh, it is, it is. And that really is quite the challenge. But I think it's contri- it definitely would be contributing because when you go to sleep at night, your brain uh, doesn't rest. Uh, it has a job of work to do. Oh yeah, I, like you, you, I heard you actually describing this on the uh, Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The the way that what does your brain your brain basically is sweeping the streets at night? Yeah, that's one thing that it's doing. So so basically, as I said to you earlier, your brain is a high energy organ. It produces a lot of metabolic waste, and the rest of your body produces metabolic waste, and that's cleared through your lymphatic system during the day. But your brain doesn't really have a lymphatic system. It's not it doesn't feed into that. So it needs you to sleep. So it can clear away those toxins, the metabolic waste, but also other toxins, actually toxins that are implicated in Alzheimer's disease. And so it is critical to try and get good quality, good quantity sleep. I I appreciate that insomnia is an issue. Certainly it has been for me as well on and off. And so that's one reason you need to sleep. And that's one one factor that contributes to your um you know the foggy feeling but it is that kind a kind of vicious cycle. vicious cycle isn't there a vein in the brain that kind of opens up to drain these toxins away when you sleep there's kind of recent research that has looked that has found something that's not quite a lymphatic system in fact they call it a glymphatic system yes a glymphatic system yeah, there's certain um, elements, but it, it's you can brain can do a little bit of cleaning during the day, but it can't do that deep clean until you sleep. So that's really important. Um, and it feeds in as well, I think, with chronic stress. So sleep and chronic stress are just so intertwined. And I think aside from having long COVID, just living through the pandemic uh, has, has had a lot of us in a in, in a state of chronic stress for a long period of time. And if you're chronically, chronically stressed, it impairs your ability to sleep. And you need sleep because when you sleep, that helps to dissipate, uh, to clear away some of the cortisol that's associated with stress. So managing stress, again, is the second thing, you know, another thing that is really, really critical. I think around sleep, as you said, with a lot of people having trouble sleeping, I still think there's some things that people can do that can help to improve the quality of your sleep because it's not just quantity it's it's about the quality of your sleep you know in the early part of the night your brain is taking in the new information that you got during the day it's filtering it deciding what to keep and turn into memories and what to what to dump uh you know what's not not necessary and then a little bit later in the night the information that's being kept starts to be embedded across the various areas of your brain. And that's the start of memories being consolidated. And then later in the night and early morning, when you have more REM sleep, that new information is integrated with your existing knowledge, experience, memories. And that's often why you have kind of funny dreams with a bit of today and a, you know, a bit of something when you were five. But that's really critical for innovative thinking, for problem solving, for ideas, because it's you know, meshing new information in. And that's why when you get a good night's sleep, 
you can often wake up with the solution to a problem. Your brain is working away. So you miss out on that if you're not sleeping. And that would explain my, my complete lack of creativity as part of... Absolutely. <laughs> Seriously. No, no, I'm dead serious. I mean, it's gone. Gone. That's what I said to you this time. I felt empty. I really I you do a podcast. To... <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be writing the outline for my next book, but I just had, that's what I mean. I had nothing. Do you know, my creativity was, was gone. And actually what I've just done because I was moving house, I just said, and I've never done this for years. I've taken almost a full month out not doing any brain work. And I do feel refreshed to some extent. I feel that that has helped me regain some of, of my functioning. Have you done other brain work? Like have you, instead of doing your normal, you know, actual work work, have you replaced it with other things that you would, that would keep your brain sort of dexterous? Yeah, because I was moving house. So I, my brain was okay, still working. Gonna... <laughs> so it seems to be, you know, it is using a different area. I'm not different. I'm not writing. I'm not trying to figure out how to make this interesting and, you know, for somebody to, to read. So it is different. It's creative. but It's creative. But it was it's less, less pressured in a way. It was kind Kind of less pressured and it's something that I found enjoyable and I actually think that's really important if people want to start to recondition their brain you know pick things that you really like doing that will sort of help and and that's purely scientific when we satisfy our curiosity so if we you know do an activity that involves something that we're naturally curious about the ability to learn is enhanced so you learn quicker. That's just kind of how the brain works. So I applying that knowledge, I think that if you're trying to kind of retrain your brain again, work on stuff that you really, you really enjoy doing that, that you like doing. But I should go back to the sleep thing, because I think that's critical. And um, I think, you know, one way to really uh, improve your sleep is, is to manage your exposure to light. Oh. And very simple things like when you because when you're fatigued, uh, whether it's mental or physical, there is a sort of a tendency maybe to hang on to the bed a little longer in the morning or, you know, um, actually get up when you wake up, open the curtains and expose yourself to white light as soon as possible. That's quite interesting because all the sleep advices in terms of light exposure is removing the blue light. We've not had, I think, someone saying specifically in relation to your sleep to uh, get more light. Daylight is critical, right? So your brain, there's multiple factors that give your brain signals to go to sleep and to help promote sleep, okay? If you think about it, our brain has been evolving for millions of years. We've only had electric light for, you know, what is it, a couple of hundred years? Um so our brain is still operates on the basis of night and day and light. And so anything that you can do to bring that back, you know, into a more natural rhythm will help your brain understand when it should be sleeping and awake. So opening the curtains, if it's dark, like it is where we live in this neck of the woods, you can turn on a white light not a blue light, not your phone or your laptop, but even turn on. And you can get those daylight bulbs now as well. That will help. Are they helpful? I almost bought Noreen one for Christmas. 
Honey is sunbed. Uh, but funny enough for me, they kind of trigger a bit of migraine in me. So I, you know, play it by ear. It'll be a bit individual for people. I've got one for my parrot. Did you? <laughs> yeah, you got one for your parrot, which is why I was looking at whether I could get you one for Christmas. I thought it would be really good <laughs> for you. The pet said he needs more light, so he recommended I buy this white light. Get out in daylight. Get outside. Get outside in daylight for at least, gosh, if you can do an hour a day, it would be fantastic. And I think, you know, you can, there's all these tips and it sounds like a lot, but you can combine a load of them. If you have coffee in the morning, you know, have that outside, you know, put a coat on and a hat and have your cup of coffee outside. So many of our listeners who've got long COVID can't get outside because they're too fatigued and they can't drink coffee. Yeah. The histamine is out of control. (laughs) Well, I, I, I wouldn't advocate drinking coffee, but do you know what? Even if you pull open your window and stick your head out of it, get daylight. Yes, you feel too fatigued, but see if somebody can help you to get outside. Honestly, it will help with your sleep cycle and that will help with your energy levels. I use an analogy in my book. You know, if you break your ankle, you've got to rest it to allow it to recover. But then there comes a point where rest becomes more problematic because you will lose function if you stop using it for too long. So you've got to let it heal. Then you've got to start putting pressure on your broken ankle and that's painful and it's sore. But if you don't do it, you will lose the function of your leg completely. And I think that happens in some ways with with fatigue. You've got to kind of, even if it's baby steps, like that's that neurologist said to me, if it exhausts you to sit on the side of your bed, just raise your body up every day for a week. Then try swinging your legs over to the side for a week, 10 days. Then try standing up for 10 minutes or five minutes or two minutes. Then walk to the door for a week. The thing is, most people are trying to do too much too soon they're trying to go for a walk from being totally fatigued actually just try standing for a little while building up your conditioning your stamina again but in really really tiny tiny steps and i think that's a really good piece of advice it's very hard because we're very impatient but i think over time that can work and that i think that will apply with your brain fog as well if you're struggling to read just start with, I'm going to read a sentence every day. I'm going to, you know, work up to a paragraph. I'm going to work up to a page. Literally take it down that small. It seems, you know, in some ways I could see how someone might find that depressing, but it's a step of a ladder at the time. And you eventually do kind of get to the top. I think that's important. Uh, Going back again to sleep and light in the evening time, try and mirror what could happen naturally. So what I sort of suggest is that from about eight o'clock, turn off the overhead lights and just use low lamplight just to let the lights kind of come down. There's no hard and fast rule, but I've been suggesting to people that for the hour before you go to bed, consider that a wind down me time. Turn off the TV, turn off the laptop, have a bath, light candles, read an an actual book, listen, if you can't read, listen to music, listen to a relaxing podcast. Just let your brain start to shut down. 
you don't if you if you've ever raised kids if they've been out jumping on the trampoline you don't expect them to just go straight to bed and go to sleep you know that they're too wound up they're hyped up and for a lot of us um you know the thing that stops you sleeping often is your brain your brain is just going round and round and you're thinking of things and and you really can't get into the sleep mode and for a lot of the time you'll also be thinking about stressful things like if you think about it during the day for a lot of people you're doing stuff and you know you're getting on with day-to-day life or trying to work or, or whatever it is and so the evening time when you lay in bed is probably the first time you allow yourself think about things and it's the wrong time of the day to do it because it will wake you up so very simple things like saying if I need to deal with an issue or problem try and schedule it earlier in the day like actually say, do you know what I, you know, at three o'clock, I'm going to think about this X, Y, Z. Oh, it doesn't come to me at three o'clock in the afternoon. No, I know. But if it comes flowing in. Comes at night. So what I'm saying is, if you just say that when it comes flowing in at nighttime, you say. Come back tomorrow. Yeah, I'm dealing with that at three o'clock tomorrow. And I even just write it down. Even if you write down a note, say, I need to think about this. Your brain knows you've made a note. It doesn't have to keep reminding you. Okay. And that kind of helps. Like it actually genuinely does help. It sounds to me like there's two things that you're talking about at once. One is we need sleep so your brain can recover and get rid of the toxins mm-hmm. and gain strength for the next day. That's every day. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, what you're describing to me is kind of pacing, but you're pacing with your brain. That's quite an interesting way of putting it, Noreen. I can't think at night. Don't think, you know, I'm I'm going to pace. I'll I'll think about this tomorrow or I'll I'll work this out tomorrow or earlier in the day. And so you're pacing your brain. So it's almost the same way that we're told told to pace our bodies. We should try and Yeah. But I, I think it's about timing. Like you know that um well, most people should know that if you exercise and go to the gym at 10 o'clock at night, you're not going to be able to sleep. Do that earlier in the day. So it is, again, about just taking a brain activity and transferring it to a different part of the day to deal with it. And so, it's it's, again, it's about trying to build a habit. I'm not saying it's easy. These things are not easy to do. But the thing is, with how the brain works is that that thinking part of the brain, the crinkly part of the brain, as I said to you, it's really high energy. Uh, It's got to make maximum use of the resources available to it. So it's constantly trying to use those resources efficiently. So what it does is the brain loves patterns and it is constantly scanning your behavior for patterns. Things that you do regularly at the same time every day or in the same place or whatever, okay? And it's looking for those patterns to see, can it automate them? Because if it can automate a pattern, something that's repeated, it it could be a long pattern, a short pattern. It could be getting up, brushing your teeth, having a pee, shower, making your breakfast, putting your coat on to go to work. That can be as long as that or simply a little pattern of you always put toothpaste on your toothbrush before you brush your teeth you don't have to think about those things you just do them so basically if you do something regularly in a a similar fashion a routine way your brain says brilliant I can automate that behavior and it gives that behavior to a part of your brain called the basal ganglia which is in the limbic system unconscious part of your brain that uses less 
energy. And by definition, it becomes a habit and effortless. You don't have to think about it. You don't waste energy on it. So when you introduce a new behavior, it is very, very effortful. It's very demanding. It's very tiring. But if you stick with it and keep doing it in the same order at the same time, your brain will go, pattern, I can automate it and give it over. So that's that's really important. And I think that's one thing that has really contributed to brain fog during this pandemic is aside from COVID or long COVID, the measures that were introduced suddenly one day in March in 2020 just wiped everybody's habitual behaviors out off the table. Everything was gone. You were just told, go home, figure out how to work from home, figure out new ways to do everything. So the human brain became overloaded. And I think this impacts on people who had long COVID as well as people who didn't have COVID. So not only was your brain given a new task to figure out how am I going to work? How am I going to do things? All of its automated behaviors, most of them were gone, you know? So about pre-pandemic, it's been estimated that about 40% of our behaviors every day are routine, habitual, that you don't have to think about. Now, if you think about when we went into lockdown, people didn't get up at the same time every day. Sometimes people decided when they'd get dressed based on when their first Zoom call was, didn't maybe bother having a shower, sometimes just stayed in the PJs all day. If they had to homeschool kids, it might be, I'll do it at 10 today and and, and I'll do it at three tomorrow. And so you can see what's happening there. So although physically it was a lot less pressure on us because we weren't actually physically going anywhere or doing very much what you're saying it was a lot more pressure on our brain yes because you had no patterns you had no habitual behaviors and because most of us didn't operate on in any sort of routine way your brain couldn't find any patterns to automate so basically your brain was constantly having to make simple decisions when am I going to get dressed what time will I have breakfast? And so it has nothing left for the more complex stuff that you need for work, your creativity. So your brain absolutely has to have routine. And that's another thing that I would say to anybody who has long COVID. Long COVID disrupts your routines as well. So create new routines, just simple ones. Get up at the same time every day, shower at the same time every day, have your breakfast, do those routines. It will free up resources in your thinking brain and make it easier for you to do some of those things that you're really, really struggling with. Um, that's honestly just, I, I, that, that is one thing that makes a huge difference. So we have sleep, get plenty of sleep, pace or timing. Yeah. Uh, patterns. Routine. What about um, food? Can we, yeah, the is there brain food? Is there, is there, there a nutritional there way? Is. You say it's a high energy organ. It is a high energy organ. So rubbish in, rubbish out. So if you're going to eat trash, your brain isn't going to function at its best. The best evidence uh, for a brain healthy diet is a Mediterranean diet. Uh, and think overall diet rather than single. I like to talk about it. Think of an orchestra of nutrients rather than a single uh, soloist. 
It really is about the overall diet. Your brain can make some of the micronutrients that it needs, etc. But you should get everything that you require for a healthy brain from that Mediterranean diet, which is, I should say, not about pasta and pizza. <laughs> it's about uh, lots of colorful fruit and vegetables, oily fish, nuts, pulses, getting your fat from olive oil, um, avoiding processed foods. It's actually really one of the easiest diets to eat because you can take a load of that stuff raw, chop it up, and you have a fabulous salad. Or you can throw it all in a pot and make soup full of all those nutrients, especially when you've got brain fog and you don't want to be thinking about complex recipes. Do you know, the old soup thing is a brilliant way to, to kind of get those, those nutrients in. I often get asked about supplements. And I feel very strongly about uh, the supplement industry and uh, particularly around uh, brain sup supplements for the brain and supplements uh, uh, for older people who are worried about memory loss and, and dementia. Uh, and I think it's picking on a very vulnerable, very vulnerable populations are targeting them or making money from them. If you eat a healthy Mediterranean diet, you have no need to take supplements unless your doctor has diagnosed you with a specific deficiency. So a vitamin B12 deficiency will impair your cognitive functioning. You will have brain fog if you just have a B12 deficiency, but in fact, you can even have symptoms that are as severe as dementia. It can be confused with dementia. That doesn't mean go out and take B12 vitamins. It means that if you suspect that could be a cause, get your doctor to test your vitamin levels and they will prescribe usually an injection once a month. It's a form of anemia. Iron deficiency will also uh, impact on your cognitive brain function. So if you're iron deficient, uh, make your dietary changes and or take your, your iron tablets. Uh, folate deficiency will also impact on your brain function. Um, and actually an omega-3 deficiency, which is really just in your diet, you'll get that from your fish, can impact on um, your brain function. So that's definitely my advice on uh, on diet throw out all the processed foods because jars of food like honestly you can make you can make a lot of dishes that are in those jars much easier by just throwing the kind of the fresh ingredients in I mean I even you know if you've long COVID and I appreciate gosh you mightn't feel like cooking it's easier you know I mean you can cook a bit of fish on the pan in five minutes and boil up vegetables steam vegetables at the same time and it's done in five minutes it's quicker than ringing in an order to a Chinese I actually even I like to use fresh vegetables but I so I've actually bought some frozen vegetables so I can throw them into in in into soups quite easily they're already the carrots are already prepared you know so yeah. keep stock cubes in the house um, I often have chicken, I fry up an onion, throw in the chicken, throw in whatever veg you have and a stock cube and you have soup for a couple of days. Very simple on a pot. If you have a soup maker, it's even easier. And I do think it's really important if you have long COVID and you've got brain fog, you've got to eat regularly. You really have, because if you're depriving, your brain needs to know where its energy is going to be coming from. And if you're eating at irregular intervals, you're making your brain's job harder. I mean, your brain has to decide at any point in time 
where to distribute energy, to what task. Is it to wiggle your toe? Is it to go swimming? Is it to figure out something? And if it's worried about just having enough resources to keep you, you know, in homeostasis, to keep your organs functioning well, it's not going to have enough to help you work cognitively. So regularity, your brain thrives on regularity. So eat at regular intervals, sleep at regular intervals, do your activities at routine behaviors. That might sound a bit mundane, but actually that means then those other times of the day, you have you've more brain power to do other stuff. Yeah, it's kind of just thinking about your brain as a, it's almost as a functioning machine. You know, it is an organ that has requirements. And a lot of our, the things that we do make it difficult for it to function properly. How much improvement have you seen in patients or people that you are dealing with that got brain fog with these methods? Because long COVID seems to, in the research that people are doing, I mean, there was a, an article out today saying that long COVID has caused the same cellular level damage to the brain as chemo. They call it the chemo right. brain. And that came out today and they found it in mice and they're like, there's huge studies now going on into looking at this actual cellular damage. Your methods, how much will they help improve brain? And will we ever recover this brain function that we seem to have lost? It's hard to know, but I mean, I do, I really do have positive sense. I think chemo brain is another thing that falls under brain fog. So yeah. if you remember, I mentioned it can be an underlying disease, but it can also be a consequence of medication. So chemotherapy yeah. impacts on brain fog. Certain certain cancers also give rise to brain fog themselves, but the chemo does. But also so do treatments for autoimmune diseases, but so do painkillers. Any medication that works on your central nervous system has the capacity to interfere with your cognitive functioning. And this may also be a factor with people with long COVID. So painkillers, uh, they operate on, on, on your brain. Um, Antihistamines. I spoke actually, you were saying there that I was on the doctor's kitchen. So um, he has certain allergies and he has stopped taking his antihistamines because they were impairing his cognitive function. That's quite interesting. We've both taken antihistamines quite a lot over there. Yeah, because one of the theories for long COVID was that it was a histamine response. Right. So we were prescribed heavy dose antihistamines. Two types. Yeah, they can impair. I mean, you've often heard, be careful, you know, when some antihistamines don't operate machinery, can Mm. have a sedative effect. So that can impact on your brain function. Now, my advice always is never stop taking a medication that you have been prescribed without discussing it with your prescribing doctor. But absolutely, if you have been prescribed an antihistamine, you could go to your GP. That's why I wrote this book, really, you know, was to sort of say to people, well, look, if you think it could be the antihistamine, go talk to your GP and say, look, could would this impact? And it will. I mean, we know for a fact that it impacts on your brain function. So um, how about if I if I stop that or even maybe try a different one because they won't all do it. Antidepressants. Um, for 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 donkey's years, we've known they impact on your brain function, and in fact, they impair your ability to learn new information. Which is why, for example, there's always been doubts about. Um, so, if you're treating people for depression, 
while they're on certain antidepressants, if you're trying to teach them cognitive behavioral therapy, do you know, a talking therapy to change their behavior so that perhaps ultimately they can get off the antidepressants, it's actually harder for them to learn new information when they're on an antidepressant at that time. So it's kind of counterintuitive. So um, there's a lot of things uh, that impact on your brain. And then, of course, if you're a woman, um, and we know more about hormones and the brain because more research has been done on women, it doesn't mean to say that you know hormonal changes don't also affect men, but we just have, have more knowledge. So if you're a woman and if you're perimenopausal, and you've got long COVID, you know, you are probably much more likely to get brain fog because we know that being perimenopausal increases your risk of brain fog, you know, even in your cycle. I don't know if you've noticed if, you know, or, or any of your listeners that at certain points in your cycle, your cognitive functioning is affected. Certain for me, I, you know, always knew that my period was due because I would start to be a little bit clumsy. I'd bump into things or drop things. I also would turn into this irrational human being who had roused <laughs> with absolutely everybody. Hormones is definitely an area that we could explore much more oh. fully, but but we both need to go and pick up the kids now. <laughs> Listen, it's been lovely talking to you. It's been lovely talking to you. So much knowledge. I highly recommend Sabina's book, Beating Brain Fog. And it really does give you a sort of step-by-step guide it's full of really really useful information that helps you understand what is actually going on in your brain yeah I hope it helps I I, I think like that it, it does explain like it, it it allows you pick out your as you said brain fog is you know it's such this vague umbrella term it allows you pick out which part of your your cognitive functioning is affected and that's kind of helpful in itself as well because it's not your whole brain has gone to mush it's 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 little parts yeah, pinpoint that and then know what to work on. And there's strategies as well as that broad advice. There are strategies on how to cope while you're dealing with brain fog. And they're very simple, simple ones that, that should help. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Go collect your kids. Thanks for reminding me to pick up the kids because I'd completely forgotten brain fog. <laughs> Good discussion with her, I felt. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she really addressed some of the physical aspects of what long COVID seems to be doing to the brain. And but there are new MRI studies and and people researching the way that our brains are actually being injured by long COVID. There's reports into cell injury in the brain, in the ears, and uh, in the lung tissue. And there is basically reports that all of those sort of cellular injury or cellular changes to all of these places that are not necessarily being discussed. We're trying to treat the symptoms, but it does sound like we've got cellular dysfunction throughout all of these organs. I don't know if we've all got it in all of the organs or if our symptoms correspond to where we've got the damage. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. And I think she had a lot of interesting things to say, but I, I think that aspect of brain injury has to be dealt with. Join us next week as we hear others' experiences of long COVID. Share your stories and questions at tlcsessions.net. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates. And if you found this interesting, 
please do subscribe.